0: J.B. Bendick, the Novotis organization.
1: Thank you for joining the program here today, and this is a social media reaction here to kind of something that's been going on, a topic we've been following now for a little while, and uh, Mr. Joseph Bendick had it on his social media page, and it had something to do with the jobs that are coming back are not at the same caliber of what they were that when they got laid off. Um, whether it's not coming back at the same salary or maybe it's a new job description or maybe it's just something, but it's just not adding up. Right. And so we thought we'd bring in JB, Mr. Joseph Bendick. How are you doing today?
0: Doing well. Thank you so much for having me back again. I always enjoy our conversations and uh, um, you know, I, just, I appreciate the opportunity to come speak today, uh, today with you and also address, you know, my post on LinkedIn. I, I was, I was, Really, really surprised in, in the reactions and and how I would say it went viral through LinkedIn. I think um, it's probably one of my most viewed and most liked and most commented posts, uh, probably since I started engaging through LinkedIn and driving conversations.
1: Oh, you're kidding me! I didn't, me. Know. I didn't yeah, know that.
0: I, yeah, from, from my own um, you know metrics. I, I don't put that out to, to you know to boast in any way, shape, or form. I, I think that's just, just just showing the reaction that it got. And I think it's because I, I hit a nerve because I'm willing to say something that many people out there, for whatever reason may, it may be, maybe they're currently employed or they're unemployed or, or politics, whatever it may be, don't want to say it. Um, and I, I've gotten private messages, you know, from people saying, "Man, I wish I could say that." And it's just been real interesting the last, you know, 48 hours since I posted it. You know, the traction that it that it had gotten and. and and so it's glad because I want to talk about, I want, I want people to know that they're not alone in their thinking. And the only way we, we can grow as a community and, and in our industry is if we talk about things without fear of retribution or being embarrassed or punished or whatever it may be.
1: Well, that's one of the things that The Crude Life likes to try to have is a place where people can talk. And it's not maybe always going to be the most popular conversation, but at least they know they're going to get a host and somebody asking questions, that's going to treat them with respect and it's going to treat them with civility, Even if I don't necessarily agree with the topic or the direction or whatever the case might be, um, I do agree with you on this, that the jobs are changing. I don't know your rationale or what your observations were. I was looking at your post more from the automation side. The oil and gas industry is becoming very automated. And big data, we've been talking about this for a few years, five years, seven years. I remember I wrote it technology of the Bakken piece eight, nine years ago. So the technology's not new. I think the implementation of it and the speed of the implementation of it and the acceptance of it might be a little bit surprising to people at this point. But for me, I'm looking at kind of the automation side of oil and gas as kind of a job replacement and a job shift. And so that's where I see some of the jobs being impacted. Where are you seeing, you know, some of the observations, maybe some of the comments? Uh, Talk to me a little bit, flesh it out a little bit.
0: Yeah, you know, with with automation, the, the first thing that I would say, I believe that many people, definitely within our industry, but also in business in general, I think there is a negative connotation when people hear automation that they think one thing, oh, there goes my job. Whether they you know say that or not, in the back of their head, that's what they think when they hear automation. They, you know, think of you know robots and machines and, and them not getting paid or doing their doing their job for them. And in some aspects, yes, that is correct. There are certain repetitive you know tasks and procedures and things of that nature that you know that will be automated. But I believe automation is actually a benefit. To many individuals, not just for the people creating it, you know, creating the devices or the software, but because with the automation, what it's going to do and what it is doing is it's flushing out inefficiencies and waste within our industry. And, and that sticker shock, if you will, is is the pain point that many of our, you know, hands, if you will, in our industry ha- have with it and why so many are pushing back or um, fearful of it because they don't understand, you know, or not so much to understand that accountability part of it, it it, it hurts, because you can't lie with automation and data. You know, it's facts. I mean, it it is what it is and what comes out of it. And I think that that concern a lot of the times is is the big pushback from from individuals and why companies today right now are so adamantly going for it, because they're trying to make one cent off of a dollar if they can, they're trying to be profitable. And one of the main reasons you do that is by driving out inefficiencies yeah, and through, you know, through inefficiencies, the main way you do that is through, is through automation. Does that make sense?
1: It does. The accountability observation is rather interesting because you know um, there's a lot of truth behind that. Where sometimes it's easier to sell the sizzle than it is deal with the reality. You know, what do I what do I say in in the world of climate activism? The planet of platitudes. Versus the realm of reality, and there's a little bit of that with automation because it just depends on what's programmed in there. And but I I see the automation come in a lot of different forms. You know, I think we're going to be a more of an offshore drilling for a little while. Um, there's a certain um, and my conspiracy theory, if you will, is it's more than NIMBY. Uh, not in my backyard, out of sight, out of mind. So, if, if there's going to be a little more drilling kind of offshore, there's going to be less protests and, and there'll be less, you know, kind of that, th- that type of thing. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, the uh, offshore versus onshore drilling, if you're seeing any trends happening that way. Uh, I see, like I say, I've seen more of the offshore just because of the automation side. What you alluded to is one of the things the agriculture industry found out with automation is it made it a lot safer, is there's the accountability side, there's the repetition side, but there's a saving lives side because there's certain industries that are pretty dangerous still for humans. Logging is another one, you know? Um, and so when, when certain automation features come in, it, it makes it a lot more safe as well. And it does shift the jobs a little bit, you know, and, and and maybe you know some more warehouse factory jobs open up, assembly line jobs or something like that, or at the same time some coding jobs, some 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 uh, you know some computer software type jobs. But anyway, just a, a very long way to uh, bring bring up the onshore versus offshore. Just if you notice any any trends that way.
0: Yeah. So. On the offshore side, there has definitely been a lot more chatter, you know, in moving that way. The main pushback that that I have, you know, seen and read and, and heard is the amount of capital that it does take just to go offshore. Sure, you can go out and punch a hole offshore, and your return on a good well outdoes that of punching, you know, five or six or seven more wells on land to equal the same volumes. So many companies are looking, you know, to go that that direction. The, the problem with that though is the amount of capital allies that they would have to do amount of capex in order to actually go out and find that and what one of the companies you know that's that's out there that's doing that right now for example like Apache pretty much shut down most of its you know drilling and completions of work within the Permian and moved towards um, off of uh i, I always mispronounce a Sh- surimi sure i never say it right but the, the, that country out, you know towards ghana and that play there's a lot of activity down there um that, that seems to be the the new offshore uh hot spot, if you will on top of what's going on in our in our gulf coast and you brought up one interesting point where you said about automation and, and safety and i couldn't agree, agree more because there has been so many um um, hot spots uh, as far as, you know, high risk or what you have, you know, hot zones, that's where I'm looking for, you know, hot zones that people would have to normally put their body into. And so you'd have to have a hot work permit in order to, to go into those areas to, to execute, whether that be going inside of, you know, of a, of an active, um, you know, tank clean out, if it's going to weld something within the tank, but on the inspection side, especially on the, do- on the, um, on, on the downstream side and midstream side, when you go into um, inspections, taking, you know, refineries and crackers and fractionators, they all require, you know, going out in, in inspections to prevent, you know, um, unfortunate, you know, loss of, you know, explosions, loss of life, etc. And there's companies out there that are going after that market right now using robotics and the thing behind that is, everyone thinks okay well that robot is replacing my job but what they fail to forget is there's still a human controlling that robot that robot is the one going in and and ascertaining that data at at, at much more you know higher more detailed levels of data that's you know and that's incorporated into software predictive analytics etc but there's a human that is still operating that robot and so that's something, you know, that, you know, you can look forward in, in, into the future within oil and gas It's removing that high risk, you know, job for that person to be in, in, in that area. They're still involved in the process and we're collecting more data because that that robot, that machine can see things that that us as humans on, on the individual eye level cannot see. Um, and, and so that's that's just one exciting area that that's just taken off within the oil and gas industry that adds safety. That um, you know, jobs are going into a different you know, different direction, and where I think people get confused, you know, again, confused with automation in the sense that okay, that automation is now going to you know get rid of my job. No, it just moved it. It's you know, it's progression. It's like the same thing. You know, back in the day, we're on horses, and then horses to buggies, and horses and buggies to trains, and trains to automobiles, automobiles to planes, etc. You know, things move and change, and you have to be willing to change with it, or you are going to be changed.
1: It's going to be an interesting time we're in because we're going to see some shift of jobs. We're going to see some shift of incomes. And if we have another pandemic type of uh, shutdown or suggestive shutdown or just collapse type of a thing, there might be no other option but to kind of do a new deal. Uh, the, the old get back to work and, you know, build, instead of Im- instead of building infrastructure and highways, They might just rip down old buildings. I I look at it this way. You might end up with uh, like four different teams. So you got the first team that rips down old buildings that are energy inefficient, right? And then you got another team that comes in and you build new energy efficient homes that spy on you and, and are, you know, zero emissions, that sort of thing. And then you got a recycle team and then you got the cheerlead team that comes in and cheerleads the thing and makes it so you can't disagree with it I honestly I, I I see that's almost where we're going to be going in the future because when I take a look at the bridges that we need done I was just reading a story the other day where this oil and gas communities having a, a debate right now if they should use this cares money to replace a 35 year old water tower now that the oil isn't going in and they don't you know because they don't know how many people are going to live there and if so we've got all this whole infrastructure that's ready to, you know, be redone. In my neck of the woods, Minneapolis, they had that bridge collapse a few years ago. That you know the school bus was on there. It opened up uh, everybody's eyes of how many of these bridges across America need to be redone. So I, I just see something in our future that's going to involve a lot of humans working with machines, but it's going to involve infrastructure. And it's going to be just a big giant project. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I don't know. When when I start talking with UJB, my tinfoil hat comes out so easy because I start looking at the bigger picture, man. <laughs> so anyway, you can take that and, and run with it. Everything.
0: Yeah, you know, building building off of that, and no pun intended, our infrastructure. Uh, across the United States especially like you brought up bridges um, highways state um, highway systems the, that, that whole thing um, within India the, the word infrastructure is 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 very very um, it's failing and a lot of people don't don't know that and it's kind of like um, don't ask don't tell in the sense that people when they drive across a the bridge they don't really think about that the bridge is open you know therefore it has to be safe because I'm crossing it. Well, it's not until all of a sudden that oversized load or a certain weather, um, you know, incident, you know, causing moisture to get in and the heating and cooling and something finally cracked and then it can't bear the weight of the load, et cetera. And then wrong time or the wrong place and boom, something goes again, I, I don't, you know, I don't do, it, you know, say that because of fear. But what's happened again, it, you know, in that in, in within that industry on the infrastructure size is is that because it's been such a manual process in the past for inspections, people going out and putting their hands on it, using their eyes and using different different you know methodologies for quote unquote inspection. Now through through technology, through robots, through automation, through software, and through in um artificial intelligence and machine learning, we have the ability to do predictive analytics where we can go out and use technology today to take a measurement to to track it. And what they can do then over a period of time is they can see the difference um, over time lapse. And they can see how the structure of of things are progressing either in a good way or in a bad way. And they can literally almost go out and predict saying, okay, based upon this metallurgical report and based upon this structure and what we know from our engineering of the last 50 to 100 years, in this pattern that we see here, we anticipate that this bridge will, will be... Its usefulness will last its shelf life, if you will, for 15 years, and then after 15 years, you know, this will have to be replaced in order to maintain structural integrity, et cetera. Uh, th- that's all there. That we as humans were kind of capped at because, you know, again, we're we're, we're not computers, we're, we're not you know hardware, we're human, and there's nothing wrong with that. But behind that automation, if you will, and robotics is going to be a human that's going to build that software, that's going to build that tool. There's gonna be that manufacturing that's gonna you know assemble, there's gonna be those engineers that draw up the plans, they're gonna be the safety guys about you know behind it through the state. So again, the jobs don't disappear, they transition. But if we're unwilling as 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 a group, as an industry, unwilling to, to take that step and, and to push back into fight, what's gonna happen then is that progress is gonna be hindered all because of the fear that, that, that many people have. And I think uh, you know, going off the infrastructure side here, there is massive amounts of technologies that are being used on, on our own infrastructure. Like I said, there's, there's robotic companies being developed on the pigging side, on the inspection side. That same type of technology can be used all across the United States on infrastructure. It's already built and out there. But because there's such a fear of our industry, because we've lacked the ability to communicate what we do for the betterment of society – Many companies out there don't even know that they can use our technology to help rebuild the infrastructure across the country. And um, it's, it's, it's really shocking how many times I've been in conversations with civil engineers who go out and say, man, you know, I have a department and, you know, it's, it's me and five other people, and I, I'm in charge of, you know, 1,500 bridges. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, how can a five-man team oversee, you know, 1,500 bridges? And he said, "It's just it's it's literally we just do we're more reactive than proactive." And he said, "If, if we had a database, we'll renew that we can anticipate problems based upon history. We can stay ahead of everything." And so I think, yeah, you know, that's definitely something that you hit to nail on the head where things can really move forward, where energy, oil, and gas industry can help drastically. But again, it's it's not it's, it's not an oil filled job. If, I'm, if if you you know it it doesn't have that title. We have to you know be willing to go outside of our comfort zone. And realize that you know we're more than just an oil-filled hand, you know, uh, and that's the big fear. Going back to you know one of the original things about my post was with companies, you know, laying people off in massive droves, and then people trying to transition out of oil and gas, and they can't find jobs, and then the companies hiring back, and, and all of that back and forth, is because there there is a stigma to the title of you know I've worked in oil and gas that 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 is the very root of everything.
1: It's going to be interesting to see how a lot of this changes because you know I, I do believe the oil and gas industry is going to have to accept uh, just energy itself. And I think, uh, I think the wind and solar is going to have to accept that too. And it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for both sides. And it's going to come together basically as a kumbaya, kumbaya coal type of a thing where um, people are going to have to realize that they're going to need all these different energies to make it work. And it's so interesting because your background, you've got some politics in your background if, if my memory serves me correctly. And so when we, we when you've got people that are not speaking up, generally they're they're fine with life and so they're not speaking up. And so it's the people on the extremes that are generally the ones that are speaking up. So um, it becomes dangerous when you start, implementing that away from politics and into energy and into other areas, agriculture, if you will, um, because it starts impacting more of our day-to-day lives in new ways that, you know, politics normally doesn't. And this is where I'm seeing BP is going to start going more renewable and a lot of these other things. But I I think a lot of the service companies are going to figure out ways to become more diverse as well. Uh, Does that make sense?
0: Yes, and, and, and building off of the off of BP, I believe there's that's a lot more political activism within the European Union to quote unquote decarbonize, and so you know because like you know BP and Total and ENI and, and those those companies you know those conglomerates that are you know European based, they're filling the social pressures there part of the you know the, the Paris Climate Deal that they all joined in, in the one that you know we in the United States have. Have, have, you know, backed out of or, or haven't officially you know signed up, especially with the, the Trump administration. Who knows what will happen, you know, God forbid, November 3rd. I mean, it, it, again, you know, the uh, political geopolitical world can change you know, every four years, every two years. It, it changes here within the United States. But I think BP is doing that to for more of a political appeasement. And just take a look where the stock's been ever since they've announced that, that, you know, the decarbonization. They basically, you know, said, oh, over the next You know, and don't quote me on this. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think it's next ten years by twenty thirty. I think they want to be down uh, using less than fifty percent of what their current oil production is. That's how much they want to decarbonize and offset that with quote unquote clean energy. And again, don't hold me. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I could be off a little bit, but think about that. That's like that's like a, a company. You know. You know, like a doctor, you know, going in who's been a surgeon his entire life, and said, "You know what? I don't want to be a surgeon anymore. I'm probably going to become a car mechanic." <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like, what the? <laughs> um, and everyone claps their hands and you know, they think. But here's what a lot of those companies are forgetting is the fact: number one, our population over the last fifty years has 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 um, gone up exponentially. We're about seven point seven billion people in the whole world right now. They anticipate another 20 years from now, 20 to 30 years, we'll be up close to 9, maybe 10 billion people on on Earth. And right now, out of the 7.7 billion people on Earth, 4 billion don't even have access to clean drinking water because they don't have access to electricity. And yet we're sitting here, and I think to myself, could you imagine – you know, what abundant and free energy or when I say free energy, abundant and free, free, affordable energy, because there's plenty of supply of it, you know, like oil and natural gas, because it, it's such abundant. We can keep the cost the production costs down low, which enables barriers of entry to be to be low, which, you know, the trickle down effect. And then it becomes affordable for so many people. How much oil and gas could make a difference in the world if they go and say, listen, because we have so much natural gas. We're going to be able to build all these gen sets, and we're going to be able to go to these communities off these different wellheads, and we're going to be able to, to give very affordable, if not almost net zero cost to these impoverished communities' electricity. And from the electricity, they're going to be able to put pumps in, and they're going to be able to get clean water, which is going to save millions of lives. But no one talks about that. You know, I, I, just, I just sit there like you know, my head against, you know, against the wall. These companies that have, have, have helped build the world and help build economies where people have water and food in, in, in abundance – are now saying, "Oh my goodness, you know, we're so evil. We're so sorry," and and, and backing out, saying we're going to decarbonize. It, it just it, it, that that has to be replaced somehow, and, and to really spin this, look at California, right now, where you know close to fifty percent of their electricity uh, supply comes from solar or wind, and now they have rolling blackouts because they cannot maintain and peak demand. They, 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 don't, they don't have enough supply because, unfortunately, unlike natural gas or nuclear, you know, when the sun don't shine the wind doesn't blow, you don't have the electricity. And and, and that's what they want to do for the whole world. I, I just sit back as like you know, I think to myself, people are not thinking objectively and logically. They're thinking emotionally. does not mean we don't need to have the conversation. I mean, we do because, I mean, the population growing over billions of people, it's a lot of people. But to just say you can get rid of it without any proof of concept in scalability and being able to meet on demand, it logically does not make any
1: sense. That's what I don't understand is the crash course off this because, you know, you mentioned California and that's a really good example actually of, of what is going on because you said 50% is from there. So they're only at, you know, roughly 50% and they have these issues and the issues are because the grid is built not for solar and wind. The grid is built for fossil fuels. and that's that, that that's the way it was built over the last fifty years. was for suburbia USA baby. And so if they want to get a system that is not like that, I mean, they might have to do completely socially engineer everything differently. that's that's the problem that I see nobody talking about is, The way they're trying to just, you know, replace coal and, you know, um, um, crude oil and natural gas with wind and solar, it just doesn't jive. It it just, it's too unpredictable. It comes at surges. It comes at different times. They don't have the storage capacity that's done. From my understanding, a, a megawatt of coal is not the same as a megawatt of wind. And I don't understand it completely, but it's been explained to me enough that I get it, that it's not. (laughs) And so um, that, to me, is one of the bigger issues no one else is talking about either is, from my understanding, the grids are not compatible. And if you got it, then you're talking about a whole different rebuild.
0: And and that goes on to... You know, Biden, Biden, Harris ticket, where then you know they project spending two trillion dollars to go green, you know, the the Green New Deal, quote unquote. And I, I don't want to you know go down that rabbit hole because that's probably a whole conversation for for another day. But if, you, you know, that that whole idea of well, we're just going to snap our fingers and get rid of everything, all the infrastructure, all the pipelines, all the oil, all the gas, and it's just going to be wind and solar and all these renewables. Yeah, everyone sits around clapping their hands, you know, because they think, you know, just, you know, that the, the world is dying, you know, it's going to be dead, you know, tomorrow. It's it, it's heartbreaking because the main I think the main reason that it, it, it's so popular is not, not so much, a, a, you know, education, of course, plays in part of it. But I think it's an ungratefulness of, of our of our of the United States because we take for granted you know, going home, turning the lights on, turning the water on, plucking in our phones, playing on our screens, playing on our TVs, playing video games, uh, Instagramming, Facebooking, getting into a Twitter war, you know, whatever it may be, and it's just there. And it's only when it's gone that people go, oh, wow, you know, I, 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 I forgot where electricity comes from. I just thought it comes from a socket in the wall. I thought it was just there. And people, people have no idea what goes into it or behind it to get it to your house. You know, from, from the time of, of whatever the input is, you know, to the, the power plant and then getting the, the, the grids across the United States to talk to each other and to transmit in real time to end up being in your wall, in your outlet, uh, on, you know, in your wall. Plus everything else we're plugging into it right now. <laughs> we need more electricity. You know, I tell people all the time, I said, if you're really green, you only need one TV, one computer and one phone in your house. You know, get back to the sharing economy and you tell that to someone and they just, you know, their head explodes. You mean I can't have a TV in every single room? I'm like, yeah, hey, you want to be energy conscious. Why do you need five TVs? You only need one. You know, and I do that just to poke a little bit at them. But a lot of times, you know, they push back and they go, wow, that's, that's really, really – I never thought of that. We are using more because we like it. And why do you like it? Because it's comfort. Because it's it's our way of life. And I go, there you go. And, and I wish people would would think more objectively. And I think our uh, us in the oil and gas industry again gets so defensive that it, it poses, you know, us versus them and them versus us, and instead of coming to the table and saying, "Listen, at the end of the day, we need we need a, abundant and affordable energy. And that's how our life lives today. It's how it's going to live in the future. And it's what took our country and built our country and built the world out of poverty. You know, and, and energy poverty is." is the one issue that no one talks about. And there's so many people out there, again, 4 billion people without clean drinking water just because they don't have electric, you know, to be able to, to run a pump to, to, to get clean water out of the ground. So they're going down to the local, you know, Lake Creek, whatever it is, and using that water that someone upstream from it probably took a piss or a dump in and but they don't, they don't know about it. It's just, it's just heartbreaking in, in, in that sense too, that, that, um, that inability to, to, that gratefulness, you know, the inability to be grateful that we have electricity um, is just, you know, but that drives a lot, a lot to what I do because our oil and gas industry, we, we can revolutionize and we can change the world and get so many people out of poverty if we can stop, you know, yelling at each other in the same room saying, my idea is better than yours, yours is better than mine, oh, you're killing the environment, oh, you're a climate denier, oh, you're evil, clean, green guy, you know, that doesn't do anybody any good.
1: So you making money these days? How are you uh, working? What's going on in your professional world? Give yourself a plug.
0: Yeah, so I work with companies to bring them into the future with an oil and gas. So we're an aggressive, forward-thinking, and innovative organization bringing solutions of tomorrow today. We advise companies helping them scale and optimize their specific attribute to the oil and gas industry, and we target operators and service companies to deploy what we call DARP solutions. When you deploy dark solutions, it enables them to focus in on drones, automation, AI, recyclables, and repurposing robotics and power. any more information, you can visit NovotisOrg.com or reach out to me through socials on LinkedIn. And I look forward to connecting with anyone out there that would like to have a further discussion on the options that are in the marketplace.